We're continuing where we left off. It is October 27th, 2019, and we will have the thought of the week and prayer. Okay. The thought of the week is from John 15. It's an analogy. Our Lord gives, our Lord gives, our Lord gives drawn an analogy about the spiritual life and our roles on earth. He begins by saying, I am the true vine. And my father is a gardener. In this analogy, Christ is acknowledging his role in the father's plan as the vine. The father is the gardener, the one who planned and planted the garden. While Christ has a very central role, the purpose of the whole vineyard comes from the father. I am the vine, you are the branches. We are the branches, and we are in him. The subject is fruit-bearing, not salvation. The question is whether we, as a church in this world, will bear fruit. We must realize that the fruit we bear does not come from us. Remember, the Father planted the vineyard. It was the Father who designed what type of fruit we want. If the fruit we bear is not according to the purpose and plan of the Father, it is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. If we do not know the Father's plan for the church, we certainly cannot produce fruit according to it. Our production is so very important beyond what we know. It requires that we understand the Father's thought before the universe was created. Of course, everyone thinks their works are good works. Well, I am challenging you here because the Father prayer for the church, we were was not made known to them in other generations as it is now been revealed by the Spirit to know it. I'm sorry. Give me brought up to God. Holy apostles and prophets. Sorry, I missed the sentence. Do you really know it? The proof we bear is specific to the to that plan. We must come from the secret wisdom, a wisdom that has not the wisdom that has been hidden in God destined for our glory before time began. The most emphasis here is that, as the verse says that in the paragraph, that it's not about salvation, it's about the Father's respect from us to do, uh, I guess, good works. So the Father planted the, the vineyard. We are the recipients of, we are the branches, right, to provide, and it's given to us as acknowledgement to the Father because this is his plan for the church. So taking from this analogy that this as we as the church bear fruit, what kind of fruit are we? What kind of fruit we must bear? Remember that this is not salvation, it's about our Christian way of walk as a church. So I'm just looking at this analogy and it's the good plan that the Father had given us. The problem is and the question is, will we execute what the Father 
Father had planned for us before eternity began. So that's the that's my whole question. Look at this whole order of the week about dealing the branches. What kind of branches are we going to bear? Are we going to bear good branches? Or are we going to bear bad branches that will be burned up? So this is the order of the week that I'm looking at. Thank you, Dave. This is Dwight, and I will offer prayer on behalf of our church. Does anybody have any specific requests? This is Doug. Pray for wisdom uh, for those who are not in our body and, and are not saved, that they may come to know uh, the truth and that we will be used uh, by God. We can be used by God, and we're available to him. Okay. Me about being in prayer as well. I know my daughter, she told me she really had a, she really had this baby because she's tired of carrying it. So we're going to keep her in prayer too. All right. Naturally, uh, me and my family, and uh, we're going to pray for um, the Forbes that she comes to uh, true knowledge of salvation. Excellent. All right, let us bow our heads. Dear Father, I want to start by offering gracious thanks for giving us this opportunity to look into your word, to fellowship with each other. Certainly what we're doing and what we're engaging in is an exception in this world, a, a rare exception, and we want to thank you for the privilege of being able to do so. And using technology and, and um, knowing that our, our hearts are united in your word. I want to pray for all of our families and extended families, um, and I want to pray for Warriors Truth Church itself and all of its members, wherever they may be, as well as the church worldwide and uh, the body of Christ throughout the world. That we would, um, I know that there are many who are suffering, and I also pray that that many would take advantage of uh, learning opportunities and, and chase them, as I know I need to remind myself to do. I want to pray for Gretel as she struggles with uh, breast cancer. Um, she continues to go through periods of uh, extreme exhaustion, and now she's got some infection showing up, uh, skin infection showing up because of uh, the treatment that she's been giving. I, Pray that the antibiotic would be effective. I want to pray for salvation for the lost, um, such as Forbes. I want to pray for our wisdom and interaction with with people who need to hear the gospel. And uh, I pray for all people who are not in in our body, in the body of Christ, and those who are not saved. And we pray that um, they will come to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. To, the full and accurate knowledge of the truth, and that we may be used by you um, for, for your eternal plan as you see fit. And I also want to pray for those who are turned off of things of God because of religious leaders in the world who are um, misusing your word. And, uh, you know, if we have an opportunity to share news with, the good news with them, please uh, 
their path. I pray that we would have wisdom and ears to hear on this call and that our hearts may be focused, hearts and minds may be focused on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and uh, Dave. We're going to proceed. We'll proceed on. Uh, you have notes. Uh, we are moving into a new territory today. Uh, John chapter 14. Uh, we're going to be studying John chapter 14 through 18. So however long it takes, it takes. But we're going to go one verse, maybe two if we're aggressive, at a time. So... Uh, Today, uh, you have notes, and in your notes, please take some time here. Let's, let's take some time to look at these uh, uh, passages here. So anytime we read this verse, it seems to all... Oh, let me just state what the verse is. See, I'm all confused. This is John chapter 14, verse 1, and which reads, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Anytime we read this verse, it seems it is always appropriate. Why? Because as long as we are in this world, there will be trouble. There were very emotional times for our Lord as well as his disciples. The one statement from the previous chapter that led to this distress among the, the disciples was when Jesus said, quote, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just like I just as I told the Jews, so I, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Unquote. John thirteen thirty-three. For three years they followed Jesus, and it was exciting for them to see and hear the leadership and teaching from our Lord. How many times they doubted and second-guessed him. And he always seemed to overcome every obstacle and with wisdom solve every problem. Now he's going away and they cannot come. On the top of that, they saw the miracles, signs, and wonders and knew that he was in fact the Messiah. I can imagine they were sad, upset, and scared. Jesus responds with words of comfort. From time to time in this world, we also need these words of comfort. Thank you, Lord. And I say that because we do. We often get beat up, run down, wiped out, uh, and the word is always a comfort to us. We're, we're going to get into it. Uh, in this context, Jesus said something to bring his disciples to a distressed point in their lives. Uh, it was confusion. There was uncertainty about their future. Remember, many of them left their businesses and uh, follow Jesus. There was this movement that began with him. And then he's talking about him going away. So Jesus starts out in chapter 14 with these words. Do not let your hearts 
be troubled. I can imagine these disciples standing there looking at him. Remember, Judas is not there because he had already, uh, Christ said he was the one that was going to betray him. And he took the bread and, and he went out and uh, went to the chief priest, the high priest. So there was already this air of confusion and uncertainty with what was going on there. And then Jesus tells him, ah, I'm not going to be here much longer. What do you mean? <laughs> but, so that's what I can imagine. They were upset. As I said, scared, fearful that they had joined something and maybe it just wasn't the right thing. Or is Jesus, what does he mean by going away? What, what, we're not going to have you anymore? I can't come? So, let's get into it. Um, so the first point is Jesus did not hide the news from them, but told them openly. So, I want to turn to John 13 and 33 and look at the context as we were just discovering some of it. And that is the thought, right? The disciples were already uh, in a place where a lot had gone on. Remember, Peter, Jesus w washed the, the disciples' feet at one point. Um, and Peter said, uh, you should not wash my feet. Uh, and Jesus said to him in verse 10, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. <clears throat> their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And he was talking about Judas. So Judas, <clears throat> they went through that whole thing. And Judas departed. And the discourse that follows from the end of 13 all the way through to, to the end of 17 is going to be our study. It's the, what we might call the upper room discourse. And uh, then they went out and went to the Garden of Gethsemane after that, and not long after, the Judas uh, had uh, tipped off the authorities, and they came to arrest Jesus. So, in 30, uh, let's say 31, let's go back a bit, John 13, 31, when he was gone, talking about Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and, and will glorify him at once. And then he says this, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, 
Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So this is really puzzling to them. This conversation, the events that happened. What do you mean you're going away? What, you mean you're the leader, you're the Messiah. How can you go away? There was a lot of understanding here. So Jesus starts with these words. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, point B, not only does Jesus provide comfort, but glorious teaching as well to stabilize their soul. Um, and what, what glorious teaching comes in this upper room discourse is through chapter 14 through 17. And in those chapters, which is why we are here, is some of the most profound, and I would even add classic teachings that Jesus gives. And a lot of this is not even found in some of the other Gospels accounts. Some of it is, some of it's not. But in the way it's put here, John really gives a detailed understanding of the upper room discourse, which not only talked about the things that were going to befall Christ, but it talked in the future, what was going to happen after that. It talked about the Holy Spirit coming and the new age that was dawning at Pentecost. So there was a lot here in this transition period for us to glean and to understand. So this is why I want to go over this. But notice that the comfort that comes from the Word of God as he's getting ready to teach all of this uh, is the subject at this point. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How, if you're already troubled, how can you not be troubled? Well, Jesus begins to stabilize their thinking because he's going to tell them exactly how things are going to go down and what their focus should be. So the word comforts us. The word gives us that uh, feeling where God has uh, spoken and we can understand his will and purpose and plan. We could easily begin to settle down with our identity of children of God and that he has everything under control and we're not to fear or worry so I like what it says in Philippians I'm just going to read this uh, Philippians chapter 2 right in the beginning there 1 and 2 therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ <clears throat> if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So notice, if there is any encouragement, any comfort, any consolation, any, any common sharing in the spirit, Paul is saying, I will be happy. You will make my joy complete if you are like-minded. In other words, let's all be on the same page. This is the love that we're talking about. So whether that love was for God's plan as it related to Israel, right? This is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, right? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus says, I'm giving you this new command. Why? Because you're going to take that. And as God shifts the dispensation and God's plan changes to the church, you still need to have that unity of the same mind, of being of one spirit, and you will need love. That's the cohesiveness, that everybody is operating on the same principles, that everybody's operating according to the same plan. And that love, that motivation is shared among those who are in the world who are walking in step with that. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have that love, that same motivation, and you you prefer one another. A believer who's walking in the same direction you are is more valuable in the world to you uh, than anybody else, because they're going through the same things that you are going through. And there's that love that, that looks over and after one another prefers one another, sacrifices for, for each other. That's Jesus' sacrifice for, for us, for the cause of the Father's plan. So we can talk about the Father's plan from an overarching standpoint because we see it all now. God has revealed everything to us in this age. So we can look at all the dispensations and all the component parts and we can put them all together. And see them all, whereas they could not see everything from where they stood. Jesus could, and he began to teach them, but they couldn't see it all. So notice, the word brings comfort. That's what point B is saying here. And that love, that unity uh, of being one mind and, and the comfort that we have, that's the stability of mind that Christ wants us to have. Point C. We always have to remember to see the big picture and keep thinking through those emotions, that fear, worry, anxiety. Right? Keep thinking through those things. A couple of scriptures, um, because they were worried, they were fearful. I wanted to throw a couple of scriptures in there about fear. First one is very common. First John, uh, it's four. And let's look at seven. 17 and 18. 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. So notice what this, I, I know it doesn't talk about fear in this verse, but this is part of it. Love is made complete. Or the love is your dedication, your motivation to fulfill the Father's purpose. And not only that, for all of those who are also fulfilling the, the Father's purpose. And every child that is born of God, we love in the same way because we know that is another child, another son. And, and, this, and then he says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. We know what we're doing here. We're of the same mind, of the same purpose. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So it goes on. I didn't add this one, but we love because he first loved us. Meaning, God 
showed us, he demonstrated what love was. And then that's how we now can emulate that love. It's through the Spirit who has shed abroad love in our hearts. So, so those, and then there's a Second Timothy. Let's get to that one. Second Timothy. And it's um, chapter 1 and verse 7. It's a very common one. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Right? So all of those things are, when we think of do not let your heart be troubled, what's gonna, what happens when they're allowing emotions, fear, worry, anxiety to flood their heart? then whatever choices and decisions they make are not going to be according to sound doctrine, sound thinking, the stability that comes from uh, the Word of God, understanding what the future holds, knowing that God is there for us, that He is, no matter what happens in the world, that God is there. He's not going to ever leave us or forsake us in this world. He's watching out for us. So when I think about that, this is the kind or quality of love and, and, and what we have when we put our trust in God. This is true. So this is, we have to see the big picture. This is what, when I read the scriptures, I, it orients me to a perspective that I often get distracted from. Point D. Emotion should be submissive to your intellect, not the reverse. So, we don't want to make emotion out to be the bandit here. Emotions are part of our human nature. Emotions are good. They're not bad. Um, and I know there's a lot of times when we read about emotion in the scripture, and we have read <laughs> about what happens when uh, people have uh, bad emotions in the scriptures and God says keep away from them and different you know there's a lot of says their God is their stomach and, and their glory is their shame and all these bad things are also are said about people who are emotionally out of control now what we would and I say emotions are good uh, what I mean to say is is that we should be thinking in terms of love and sound mind and not fear and worry and anxiety. We shouldn't allow those things to rule our lives. We should allow our intellect when it comes to our spiritual mind, what we see in the spirit, to influence how we walk in the world. So we shouldn't be walking by fear, worry. You know, those things will not lead us to the Christian way of life. So emotion, whatever it is, whatever your definition of it is, it's what adds color to our makeup as human beings. Emotion appreciates, responds, reacts to the things we think about. So emotion, and if you think about Thoughts that can make you happy. They can actually bring tears to your eyes. You can think about um, 
happy thoughts and it can bring tears to your eyes. You can think about sad thoughts and your emotion can respond with tears to your eyes. So it's interesting how emotion works in, in that light and uh, it's supposed to work by being responsive to your thoughts. And when you're thinking Bible doctrine, when you're thinking the Word of God, then yeah, it's okay that your emotions do respond to the things you've learned, whether it be praise or being thankful and appreciative and allowing your emotions to, to, to bring color to those thoughts. It's okay. That's, in fact, it's okay to it's, be yourself when it comes to that. Don't manufacture emotions. Uh, you know, you see other people being emotional about something, and then you say, well, I, I see that that's uh, praised, or that's an honorable thing. Let me be emotional. No, Emotions should be submissive, or subject to what your intellect is, not the reverse. You shouldn't emulate it, don't copy it. Uh, if you think happy thoughts, it's okay. If you think in, uh, and you understood a point of truth, allow your emotions to... To react to it. That's okay. Or not. It's your choice. Thinking with a renewed mind is how we walk by faith and not by sight. That's Romans 1 and 17. So we're not going to walk by faith by emotions. We're going to walk by faith by having our mind renewed, having the thoughts of God, and those thoughts will be transferred into us walking the walk walking even as he walked. So that's the thought, right? That's point D. Point E, we're moving on. At this point, the disciples are like children. Jesus handles them with great care and continues teaching them. And that's in the context. You will see John 14. Jesus didn't stop here. He assures them, look, you know who you are. Judas is already gone. You guys, I'm going away. Yes, uh, but believe me, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself. If these things were not true, I wouldn't have said this. And we're going to get to all these verses. And then he tries. To, he, he begins to teach him about other things. He says, we don't even know who, where the Father. How do we get to the Father? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Right? You know the Father. What do you mean we know the Father? Oh, that gives me opportunity to talk about Show us the Father. Okay, let me... So Jesus set all that up so that he could teach them. And the more he taught them, the more assurance I could see in, in my mind's eye, the calmness just settling over them as he taught them more about what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, what, what the details were, where they're going, what's going to happen. Right. So this is... Uh, this is how the Word of God is our comfort, because we, be, we begin to allow that perspective to become our perspective. And it, as they were, they had hit the panic button. They were like, what? What's going on? Are you, what do you mean you're leaving us? He has to treat them like, just, you know, he's going to give them comfort. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. And he just calms them down. And how does he do it? By telling them exactly what's going to happen in the future. So point number two. So don't let your heart be, be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. 
So this is, point A, a familiar theme for the disciples, to believe in God. And some of the scripture, one scripture I was drawn to was this one in the psalm. Uh, it says, uh, it says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So notice, it's not that you can't ever be afraid. It's, listen, it's going to happen. And you're, first of all, we're not perfect. And uh, so we're all in a process of growing in grace. And this is an Old Testament passage, but they had uh, a maturity to live up to in the Old Testament, right? The, there was a matter of growing in, in, in grace and getting to maturity. And even though it wasn't the same information that we have, because remember, our information was not made known to them. But whatever information they did have, God expected them to grow in that information and to fulfill the purpose for which God called them. So in this case, it was a familiar theme. There's a lot of passages in the Old Testament about trusting God. A lot. You could look at them yourself. I mean, it's easy to find them. But I put a familiar one in here. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That's Psalms 56, 3 and 4. So this is one I committed to memory uh, when I was a kid, well, learning scripture. When I was saying I was a, a babe in the faith. This is one... You know, you always find those, if you're afraid, memorize this verse. If you, this, memorize that, right? This was one of those passages. This is a very common one. But notice, what we've been talking about is the Word of God brings comfort. It's not just calm down, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Hey, but let me focus on God and His promises to me. Let me focus on what is going to stabilize my soul. So that I can think Bible doctrine. When I am afraid, what do I do? I put my trust in you. I know. Maybe I'm going to be surrounded by enemies. Maybe this or that. But I put my trust in you. Yeah. So point B. We know that we can look to God for help and deliverance. And this is part of, and this is not just Old Testament, this is New Testament too. I wanted to bring another passage of Scripture just to note. Look, look at what Paul says. This is a habit that we have as believers, is to look to God in times of trouble, right? When difficulty, trials, we are to look to God. That, that is the standard. So look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Let's read. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope 
and he will continue to deliver us. So, again, th these are great assurance to us. And hope. And I don't even have to tell you this. All of you know that when you're in trouble, call on God. When, when there is difficulty, when, you, when you're confused about which way to go, just call on God. This is part of the makeup of us being children of God. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to look to him. So this is part of what can bring us comfort to know that he's there. Point C. How will the disciples regain their composure? Right? This is a question because this is Jesus. You believe in God. I'm giving you a point of reference. This is how you stabilize yourself. How you get composure is by looking to God. But Jesus is using that same thought with the disciples. Yeah, I see you guys are bent out of shape here. What do we do? Oh, just you believe in God, and his point number three is believe also in me. Now, he's getting ready to teach him some things that they are gonna be like, how can this be? What? Really? I imagine our mouths are going to be open. Jesus is going to lay some things down and and they're going to have to come to the understanding. Some of the things that he's going to say, they won't understand until after Pentecost. But that's okay. Jesus is laying it down. And a couple of times in the passages, he says, I'm telling you this now. So when it happens, you'll understand later. I'm telling you now so that when you get to that point later, you'll know, you'll remember back that I told you these things. So there it is. Uh, you believe in God, believe in me also. So point, the first point, Jesus, Jesus asks the disciples to believe in him the same way they believe and trust in God. Why? Because he is God. John 1, 1 through 3. I'll just read it. And you know, the only bad part about this is uh, John 1, 1 through 3 is one of my favorite. Actually, John 1 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible or chapters. But these verses, 1, 1 through 3, say so much about who Jesus is and, you know, God the Father. And, you know, there's so much there. I wish we could have went through those passages. We will not go through those passages. There's so much detail in the ones we are in. But I will note that in John 1, 1 through 3, Jesus says, or, or John says of Jesus, that he is, in fact, God. John 1, 1, in the beginning, was the Word. Or we could say the Word was. Who's the word? He's the one in verse 14 where it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We know we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son, the one who came from the father full of grace and truth. We know this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. Here in John 1, he's called the word. In the beginning, the word was, or the word existed. Whatever beginning John is talking about, the word was already there. He was he didn't begin he didn't begin to exist. He was already existing. 
Hence, the word was. And the word, this person, was with God. Now, the word here is very specific, talking about a person. So, the word and God can't be the same person. God speaks of person too. Uh, so, the word was with the God, right? The, the God, the Father. And that has a definite article, just like the word has the definite article. Just to say that we're talking about a person, emphasizing the person, the word, that person of the word. And he was with the God, in other words, God the Father. In fact, I don't know any, uh, I'm sure there are some, but Bible scholars who say that God is not referenced by the, the term here, was with God. That's God the Father. No doubt. Everybody agrees with that. And the Word was God. Now, the Word was not the same as God the Father, because he was with him. That would not make any sense at all. To say that in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus is the same as the one who's with God. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And the Word, Jesus, was God. Now, it does not have the definite article, so it is not a reference to the Word is the same as God the Father. It is saying the Word in essence. So the absence of the definite article emphasizes the quality of the noun. So that would say that we're talking about the essence of God, not the person of God the Father. The Word essentially was God. Are we sure about that? Verse 3, through him, the word, that is, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the word can't make himself. That's a ridiculous argument. The word had to be the one who made all things. All things, now all things other than God. Because in the beginning that we're talking about here was the word. That's the beginning we're talking about. And what beginning is that? Creation of all things. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So what is that to say? That nobody made God. Somebody could say, well, how did God come to be? Where did God come from? This verse tells us that God did not have a beginning. Through him, there was all things were made. Without him, there was nothing right there. So that goes back even before this creation time. There was nothing that was made that has not been made. So God did not... God, we can't say that God existed at a particular point in time. God existed He always. There was no time that God was ever made. If there was a time where God was made, then there was a time when God did not exist. If there was a time when God didn't exist, then there was nothing. And nothing from nothing equals nothing. So, this is, this is math we're going into here. <laughs> but in the beginning was the word Jesus. The word was with face-to-face -face with the Father. 
Now, in eternity, we already know some of the things they talked about from other passages of Scripture. This is before anything was created, the Word and the Father existed. Now, we know the Holy Spirit was there, but he's not the subject right here. But in the Word was essentially God. And he was, he was with God, the God, in the beginning. This is verse 2. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. One of the strongest declarations of Jesus being God is found right here in these three verses. I don't know how you get past there. Except to talk to a Jehovah Witness and get confused by some of the things they're saying that are not true of these verses. But just look at these verses. And yes, Jesus himself is God. So when he says, believe in, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's who, who he is. He's God. He can tell you to believe in God. Point B, we're going to move forward. And this is a scripture that I'm sure you have heard. It says, uh, this is what the Lord says. Now remember, whenever it said L-O-R-D, capital, all caps, that's referring to Yahweh. This is what Yahweh says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Uh, so notice, cursed is the man who puts his trust in man, and as King James says, and makes flesh his arm. Or in other words, his strength. He doesn't look at what the Lord says. Remember, he turns away from the Lord. How? Because he don't listen to the wisdom and the word of the Lord. And he trusts in man. So Jesus is not saying to those disciples to trust in man. He's saying, you believe in God. In the same way you believe in God, believe in me also. Also. That would be blasphemy if Jesus were not God. If Jesus were some imposter or just some false messiah and he's telling people to trust in him like they trust in God, that is blasphemy. There's no man who's God except the God-man. There's only one. That's why he's the unique person of the universe. There's none like him. None. He's the God-man. And he can say, trust in me like you trust in, like you believe in God. And the scripture against that says we ought not to do it. Right, Jeremiah 17. Let's look at a little bit more in Jeremiah. You know, let's, hold on. Uh, Jeremiah 17. And it's 5 through 8. So it says, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places in the desert. In a salt land where no one lives. 
But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So there's some picturesque language used to talk about what it means to trust in God. Because God has the true reality. Satan is a deceiver. He de he, he's artful in deception. He's pulling a wool over our eyes in this world. And he has a, he's trying to blind the minds of those who do not believe so that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel and the image of God who is Christ. They, this is a smokescreen, and God's reality is the true reality. So it only makes sense that a person who is not deceived by false reality would prosper by believing the true reality, who is God. Satan, believing in him and man, all that, Will never you will never prosper. I don't care if it looks good in this world, then it won't look good in the life to come. So Jeremiah is pretty clear on who you should trust, and it, it ought to be God. And Jesus is saying, trust me, because he is God. Point number C. Interesting thought where we were in John 13. Jesus gave a new command. And Peter and his disciples didn't hear a word of it. Peter's response, Lord, where are you going? This is in John 13 and 37. Remember in 33, Jesus says, I'm going away. And then he kept talking and he says, you know, a new commandment I give you and love one another. And this, but you know, Jesus, Peter didn't focus on none of that. When it got time for Peter to, Christ had a break, Peter jumps right in. He says, Lord, <laughs> Where are you going? That is what caught their attention. This is that was I just thought was interesting. And because Peter asked that question, you know what? It got more clarification. Jesus elaborated more. In fact, this is where we get I'm going away in my father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And so the, we got that commentary, and maybe Jesus was going to give it to us anyway, but Peter persisted to ask the question. And the reason why I put this in here is to say, don't be afraid to ask the question. <laughs> Let's remember who he's talking to, God. Jesus is God, and Peter asks a question, and what do we get? Don't ask questions, more mere mortal. No, you, you, he gets, well, let me tell you a little more. Let me explain to you in detail. Let me help you understand. That's what God is about. And so, just understanding the give and take here and looking at what happens in chapter 14. Listen, all God wants to do is teach us anyhow. That, that's, he wants to enlighten us. He wants to show us what his plan is, reveal his heart to us. All we have to do is be 
wanting to know it, right? To have the, the motivation to want to want to hear the humility, and that's a perfect match for God, a person with humility, because then God can teach him what He wants him to know. So no, Peter didn't. Peter was laser focused. What do you mean you're going away? <laughs> where, where, where are you going that we can't come? What are you talking about? And of course, Jesus is able to expand on that teaching. Yeah. So that's point D. Jesus expands on where we're going. And he talks about going to the Father's house. Wonderful exchange here that we see. Always remember, ask the questions. Ask the questions. Put them out there. If it throws up a, if God throws up a question in your heart, it's okay to ask it. I hope you have opportunity to express that here. Anyway, point E. Part of the disciples' dismay was their own misconceptions about the Messiah. For that, I want to turn to Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter sixteen. Stand by. Matthew 16, and we're going to be looking at several verses here just to get the full context. Verses 15 through 24. We'll go quickly. So, remember, Jesus stops along the way uh, around the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's just not wanting to look at social media and... uh, See what social media says about him. That's not the point. So, verse 14, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, were one of the prophets. But 15 gets to the real reason that Jesus is asking this question. But what about you, verse 15, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What an answer. (laughs) Could there be any improvement on that answer? I mean, did he say the right words or what? I mean, not only that, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So notice Peter's answer was perfect. I mean, he couldn't, if he would have said something else, Christ would have said, yes, you have spoken well. However, Peter, (laughs) but no, he said, no, Peter, that's exactly the right answer. And then what we find out, it was the right answer, but Peter didn't have the right heart for that answer. It wasn't Peter who came to that. It was the father. And what was in Peter's heart? We're going to find out. Let's just keep reading. We're going to find out. Verse 18. He continues to say, Peter, I tell you this. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the church will have all this authority to speak on behalf of God. God will work through the church. 
that will be the means on, by which God now functions in the world, the church that he is going to build. Peter has the keys, which is to say that God is, is working through the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So, verse 20, then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Interesting. Why not tell anybody? Because he doesn't want to put the cart before the horse. A lot of people find these verses very curious. If he was the Messiah, why couldn't he just let people know? <laughs> that could be the question. Well, answer is because for people, for you to run around saying you're the Messiah, that's one thing. Actually, I could do that. I could run around telling people I'm the Messiah. But for God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal who you are, that is what is God is, would rather. People were running around saying they were the Messiah. It wasn't true. But Jesus was the Messiah. How do you know? Signs and wonders and miracles. No one spoke like this man spoke. This is evidence that he was the Christ, the Son. That's why Peter could say that. God revealed that to him. And he just said it. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And so he says, hold on. Don't put the cart before the horse. Know this information, but let's let it be a spiritual awakening. Not just, people will rail it. Oh, you think you're the Messiah. Oh, you really do think you're that, huh? And then people uh, will be divided and it will cause more controversy. Let's let people see who he is through his works, through his signs. And I remember John the Baptist had some doubts when he was in prison. And he sent his disciples to Jesus' disciples and to Jesus and asked the question, listen, John's in prison and he wants to ask you some questions. He has some questions about who you are. Are you? He just wants to say this. Are you the one? I mean, here I am in prison. I didn't know it was going to go down this way. Are you the one? Jesus should have, could have said. Yeah, I didn't say he should have. He could have said to John, tell John, of course I'm the one. I am the man. I'm the Messiah. Yes. Go tell him that. Rather, what did Jesus say? He says, you go back and tell John. Or just ask him these questions. Are the dead being raised? Are the sick being healed? Are the eyes of the blind being opened? You know, on and on. That's what he said. John could figure this out for himself. It's not a question that Jesus has to answer. Anyway, let's move forward. We could talk more about that later. Verse 21. From that time on... Okay, so this is opportunity for Jesus now that you know who I am. Now you've got to now understand what my work is going to entail. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now know this. That's miraculous. <laughs> he's going to be killed and raised to life that's that's resurrection talk Peter could have zeroed in on that but you know what he said he heard that part 
about suffering and about in the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and, and then must be killed? That was enough. Peter didn't, he didn't listen to another word. I bet you if, if he would have said, did I talk about resurrection? Peter would have said, I didn't hear anything about resurrection because he stopped and he zeroed in right there. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Now, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to denying the gospel? Never, Lord. Now, Paul said that this is the gospel I preach. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. This is in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is making that point. This is the gospel This is my, that I preach. And here, Peter is saying, no, there's not going to be no death, no burial, no resurrection. No, this shall, in fact, let me just say this to you. This will never happen. This not, this, it's not even a might here. We're not talking about this might not happen to you. It will never happen to you, Lord. And don't go around saying that to people anymore. Please. Because it says he rebuked him, which means Peter was going to teach the Lord something. So it wasn't like, well, at least he didn't do it in front of the other disciples. But the reason he did it, imagine this, is because the other disciples were thinking the same things. They're like, what in the world is he talking about? Is he crazy? Peter said, Lord, come over here. Lord, don't talk like that. In fact, these things are never going to happen to you. You know why Peter's saying that? Because in Peter's mind, the Messiah would not do those things. That was not the course that the Messiah... Peter was going to send... They were talking about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit on the right hand, who's going to sit on the left. They weren't talking about suffering and death. It's greatness. This is only to the top right here. I know you're the Messiah. We're going to ride this all the way. Wrong. Jesus began to teach this. And he didn't just say it here. And it, the, this when he says he began to explain to the disciples, he took time with them. He would, he, just to make them understand. And even after all of that he took, when he went through these things, it was as if the disciples hadn't heard a word he said because they didn't believe that this was something that the Messiah would do. They didn't believe it. So that was part of their frustration and confusion and fear is that they had misconceptions about what the Messiah would do and who, what he would be. And further, Jesus tells them in verse 24, uh, well, Verse 23, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. That's words they never would have understood or never would have thought. That would have been that was not in their theology at the time. So just realize 
when it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Man, they were, they were sad. Jesus said he was going. They were shook up when it came to this. So, we're going to have to close. I know we're at the point, last point here. There will be times when our hearts are troubled. There will. And here's a scripture that I always loved. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. It's in Hebrews 4.16. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're so happy to be here. We're, we're glad. We're blessed to be uh, in this church where we can hear the word and allow our thoughts to just be saturated with your perspective. Lord, we thank you for those who have joined. We pray for wisdom as we look at the scriptures, hopefully, Lord, as we dig in and uh, to these verses, these chapters that are before us, that you will teach us, that you will show us what you want us to know in these verses, these important verses. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.